the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into our third hour. It is a delight. And this is going to be just totally interesting for me to bring in welcome to the show for the first time. Radio uh, talk show host himself, one of the most admired sports broadcasters and experienced sports uh, broadcasters in the nation. And that is Steve Zaban. Zabin, I, um, Steve, I have to tell you, first of all, thank you for being a good sport about this. This interview came about a little differently than, than almost anything I can think of, Steve. I'll just say this and then throw it over to you. My producer, Bill, is very discerning, listens to a lot of different stuff, and for several years he has been quoting you to me and saying, well, Steve Zabin <laughs> said, Steve, da-da-da-da. So yesterday... I, I said something about team reality and team virus with regard to uh, uh, COVID stuff. And I said, by the way, where do those phrases come from? And he said, he said Steve Zabin and created them. Get the guy on air. Get the guy on air. So I got to talk to you, brother. <laughs> and I do this. How are you? As one of my listeners said, I know less about sports than the average American housewife. So just so you know that going in. <laughs> Bad. Quite all right. We'll talk about life and reality and the mess we're in right now because it does affect it's affected sports big time uh well the industry that's been hammered by it live sports and sports radio and yeah it's uh it's been something that's for sure nice to meet you thank you sir thanks for doing this uh people can listen to you in milwaukee and washington dc and of course on your daily podcast uh czab dot com charlie zulu alpha bravo echo dot com as you put it uh steve yeah, talk to me about that because my producer bill says five and a half months without sports was maybe one of your finest hours in radio how do you how do you cover sports when there is how do you do a, a sports talk show when there is no sports that's a great question i don't know how we made it i think for the first month because we thought okay it's about a month swim from one shore to the other uh, we were just making stuff up. We were doing lists in sports retrospectives and best this, best that, vintage games. And we were just kind of, you know, fiddling around, uh, thinking, okay, this, this ought to be enough to get us through. And then, as everyone knows, it just dragged on, dragged on, and dragged on. And I can't even remember now. Uh, it's been so long ago, it seems. And it was so awful at the time that I almost probably blanked it out of my mind. I don't want to remember. I honestly can't remember exactly what we talked about, but I'd have to go back and take a look. Obviously, there was something uh, that came along that we talked about, and so we somehow made it through. One of the things that happened coterminously at the same time as all of this, Steve, uh, if I might, is that we had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of... uh, riots and protests throughout the country that professional sports got involved in so that even people like me who generally just don't spend a lot of time on sports or, or, or understanding it, you know, it's a big country, were forced to and did. And I was frankly, I have to tell you, shocked by some of the things I saw in the professional athletic associations with regard to the national anthem, things like that. Did that 
leave a mark with you? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, it sucks because, you know, you, it, it, it's a lose-lose situation if you, if you dive into it. Because uh, people don't really want to be forced to take sides on it. And it was such an inflammatory topic. And because such an overwhelming per- percentage of certain leagues, uh, especially the NBA and the NFL, were black, are black, that it, it's, a, it's a very dangerous area to go. And obviously, tensions were very inflamed. I think the league has made huge mistake by embracing as much of it as they did. I don't think it's because the commissioners, the set of commissioners we have now, are just so much weaker and so less, they have less foresight for the big picture in the long run than their predecessors did. I mean, the NBA had to climb down from the, the limb they were on with all the social justice messaging because it hurt them very badly in the ratings. Hmm. The echo of that continues. I mean, you know, they, they had to kind of say, well, okay, for this next season, we're not going to have this message on the court. We're not going to put this message on the back of jersey because it just didn't play well with the average fan, even if you were sympathetic to the underlying cause and the premise in general. It just, it was a bad mix. And it was especially toxic, toxic on radio. Because some outlets, like ESPN, embraced it full bore and they made it part of their regular programming. And so there was this assumption that, well, ESPN is talking about it, and therefore they're, they're doing that. But not all of us felt that that was the right way to go. And so I had to tell people at times, look, I'm not... I'm not going to be talking about this. This is not something that's a winning topic for me. Uh, Steve, did uh, does the China part of the NBA thing loom over this heavily for you as it did to much of my audience? Much of my audience was just shocked over such things as Daryl Worry when he was with Houston getting smacked or Drew Brees and just piping up about the national anthem, but also on behalf of people in Hong Kong because of how closely tied the NBA and Nike is to China. Does that loom large here, or is that something you, you pretty much stay away from as well? Look, I, I think the average North American sports fan views China as, yeah, yeah, that country on the other side of the globe, and that's all they give a talk to. They shouldn't. As you know, and as I know, it's a much bigger issue. They are such a geopolitical force, and will be for the rest of my life and my kids' lives, that it shouldn't be ignored. But it's an abstraction, I think, to most fans. They just don't see it, they don't get it, and they don't really frankly care. Yes. They may, don't they, but right now they don't. So I don't think there's a lot of average fan sympathy for how can the NBA so embrace, you know, a foreign power and adversary like China as they do. They just don't seem to process it. I I did know I had an interesting discussion. I interviewed Jason Whitlock who's been pretty strong on this. Oh yeah, I know who Jason is, sure, sure. Yeah, and, and I said, so what is the NBA now? And he, his answer you know, knocked me back, but I thought it made sense. He said, I don't know, it seems like it's basically a Chinese league now. And I'm like, wow. And I just sat back and I absorbed it and I thought about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, he's just right. And that's how China operates. They want to own certain markets for certain goods, hold, you know, lock, stock, and barrel. I, 
my father-in-law used to run a bed and breakfast in Maine, and he told me how in Maine they had to pass laws against ownership of certain lobster fisheries because they found out that they were all being bought up bit by bit by bit by China. Oh, that's right. Because yes. they like, yeah, they like the delicacy. They basically said, "Look, we don't want to just pay for these lobsters to be sent to us. Why don't we just own the fishery mm-hmm. entirely?" Mm-hmm. So they tried to get it. That. How they operate. They work the long game. And I think in the case of the NBA, it's the first North American pro sports league that has effectively been captured by China. If it's so, it's so hard to describe because, you know, American professional sports is such an American, inherently American patriotic thing. Yes. Right? That, that's what's so odd about it. If it were Coca-Cola, which it is, by the way, we'd be a little less... Um, animated by this, but this is such a what's 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 the word I want? Uh, such a consummate patriotic part of America to see yeah. it go defer so much to a communist entity is, I think, what what kicks us in the hind so much. D- does the NBA, does professional sports, does it get its audience back? Assuming Team Reality wins over uh, Team Virus, huh. um, it's television audience or it's in person audience. Either way, or both. Um, to what it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, can we ever get there again? I mean, that's a society a, a question I, that would affect I not think, just sports, but uh, yeah, yeah, right. I think uh, I think television, the NFL will, because the NFL is king, and you can't stop them as a televised product. Uh-huh. I think everybody else know, huh. and I think the in-stadium stuff. I mean, it's going to be a long road back. I, I think you're probably because, right about that, and it'll vary maybe even state by state. Maybe it's a longer road back oh, right, in California 100%, than Florida. 100% yeah. it'll vary yeah. state by yeah. state. I mean, I just, I'll give you a, this happened to me today as I was going about my day, and I swear, I know a lot of these anecdotes sound like they're made up. I swear on my life, these are both exactly true. I stopped in two 7-Elevens today on my way to and from doing what I was doing. And I don't wear a mask into these convenience stores, and I haven't been asked now for months. Of course, I've had COVID. I'm not sick. So I'm like, And you're in a pretty uh, tough state, right? And you're in a tough state. Virginia, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Northern Virginia and the D.C. area is very very compliant. It's very self-compliant. They're not not that militant, per se, but they're they're very self-compliant. All these urban areas in the Northeast, and especially those... Uh, that, that vote Democratic, they're very much so. So the first one I went in, into, this guy who was in front of me in line kind of gave me that look, that, mm, hey. And as I'm standing there, not on my approved sticker six feet away from him, he starts to almost frantically twist his torso, mm-hmm. looking around, looking mm-hmm. behind me, looking down at the floor. Yeah, needs help. <laughs> he needs help. Yeah, something broke him. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Right. And I, I just, I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. But he didn't say anything to uh-huh. me. So he didn't want to start anything. Okay, so that was... R- roughly, answer. by the way, out of curiosity, Steve, roughly what age would you guess he is, roughly? About my age, middle age, yeah. 40s, 50s. Yeah. Pretty, okay. you know, looked like he was in good shape, better shape than me. Okay, um, nicely dressed, whatever. So, All right, so that's 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 anecdote one. one. Yeah, yeah. So then the an- other anecdote was coming home a different Seven Eleven. I stopped in again, maskless, and at the register, 
the woman behind me with a mask on says, can I just say to you, thank you so much for not wearing a mask. And I looked at her and I took a moment to compute because she is wearing a mask. And I'm thinking, is she going to start up with me? She is admired your courage, though, purely. It was purity, it wasn't it? She admired your courage. You know. Yes. And she said, no. She said, no, I'm serious. And she, her voice is starting to shake a little. She's like, I am. I can't wait until the day we don't have to wear these things. And I looked at her, and I smiled, and I put my hand out and said, high five, stranger. And we <laughs> high five. And you touched and then, her. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did. I did. I did to be even more reckless. But she was wearing a mask, and I'm thinking, that's interesting. Yeah. She, yeah. She, she, had the, she felt compelled to tell me thank you and was happy I was doing it but still wasn't doing it herself. Yeah, baby steps for baby feet, Steve. We've been through a lot here. <laughs> we'll get the, the psychology of this all is just unbelievable. I'm, I'm figuring it out more and more. I'm starting to wrap my head around it. And the thing with, you know, professional sports and, and sports in general is that I look back at highlights from pre-pandemic, and it's an orgy of people packed you know, nuts to butts and shoulder to shoulder and high-fiving and screaming together and hugging. And there are so many people in this country that are not ready mentally to go back to that and won't be still for some time. So that I think may, it's a long road. To that may be the house divided. We may have a divided house more over that than politics, although I could probably tell people's politics by the way they react to reality oh, versus yeah. Well, I would love it if this could be a down payment, Stephen, have you come back and talk about psychology of it all someday, uh, someday soon in the near future. I, I, this has been wonderful meeting you and really very delightful to be able to have you on on a Friday evening. Thank you. It's uh, nice to meet you and uh, keep up the good fight. Team Reality will eventually win. Thank you, sir. a lot longer than it should have. Thank you. Hope, hope and reality flows. Steve Saban, thank you so much. CZABE.com. That's Charlie Zulu, Alpha Bravo, Echo.com to listen to his daily broadcast. Steve Saban, really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Portions of the show brought to you by my friends at Trades Unlimited. Great company for all your roofing needs. And right now they want me to tell you about foam roofs in the valley and how they help insulate your home from the extreme heat here in Arizona. But also insulate your home from exterior noise. And importantly, they protect your house from water leaks. I've met the folks at Trades Unlimited. I've been down to their warehouse and offices. Great people. Great work ethic. They stand by the quality of craftsmanship they promote, and that's why they have an A-plus rating at the BBB. They've been around for almost 30 years here in the Valley, and quality and service is what you'll come to know with Trades Unlimited. The hot summer sun is perfect for foam recoats. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends at Trades Unlimited at 480 480- Four eight three one seven seven five. That's four eight zero four eight three one seven seven five. Or find them online at tradesunlimited.com. They're just good people. Uh, thinking about that discussion I was having with Steve Sabin. Thank you for putting that together, Bill. By the way, I really appreciate that. 
That was nice. Uh, nice that you introduced us and uh, efforted uh, the uh, getting of him on our show. One of the things that I thought was interesting about his team reality, team virus, and getting back to sports stadiums or any really congregate gatherings outdoors or in a stadium setting, um, I, I was I was I was brought to Mark Siegel's piece in the Wall Street Journal today. A lot of you see him as one of the regular uh, physicians uh, who contributes on Fox News Channel, Mark Siegel is. And he writes today that if Joe Biden um, really wants to end vaccination hesitancy, uh, then he is sending the wrong message by talking about masks the way he is. President Biden wants 70 percent of American adults vaccinated against COVID by July 4th. It's an achievable goal. I think we're we're well on our way there, but suddenly looks more daunting, even though plenty of doses are available. Demand is slackening now that those most eager for vaccinations have already gotten them. So you understand what the goal here. The goal is achievable via supply. It's the demand, the interest, the want, the desire that's lacking. Why is that? If Mr. Biden wants to encourage Americans to get the shots, he should change his attitude towards the masks. Last week, he said wearing masks in public is a patriotic duty. He continues to do so even outdoors, even though he is vaccinated and at no risk for uh, uh, at no risk of either contracting the coronavirus or transmitting it to others. Federal mandates remain in place requiring masks in airports, national parks, public transit, among other places. Think about the message this sends. If you get vaccinated, you'll be afforded virtually no relief from pandemic's most persistent burden, the social and legal pressure to cover your face in public, which has lingered now for more than a year. If you don't get vaccinated, society will keep trying to protect you from infection by imposing discomfort on anyone, is the message. And the authorities, at least at the federal level, seem to be in no hurry to end this pandemic, telling you to vaccinate but then don't change your lives, except very minimally at the margins. Can anyone tell me what the CDC guidelines are now for vaccinated outdoors with family and without? No, you can't because it's discombobulated and it makes no sense and you can't remember it because the rules are ridiculous and make no sense. But there are rules and guidelines, but they make no sense. Bill, can you tell me what they are? I can't. I, you know. You can't expect Americans to follow things that aren't clear. Laws have to make sense to be legitimate. And their legitimacy is based on the willingness and the ability of people to follow those laws. And to follow them, you have to understand them. But when they're incomprehensible, you can't do first things. I want to say a little more about what Mark Siegel says when we come back. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, Gene Cotton, Before My Heart Finds Out. Rob is in surprise. <laughs> Hello, Rob. Hello, Seth. Happy Friday. Happy, happy Friday. Friday. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. I'm very tired. Um, I'm very uh, doing the manual labor involved with uh, home renovations to sell is an exhausting enterprise, I have to tell you. Um, first of all, I guess earlier in the week I was going to call and mention last Friday when Dr. Jasser had 
a, a female guest on, I think from Virginia, who was, uh, I think her name was Isra, Ezra, something like that. Um, she was apparently talking about the Virginia education system that is, you know, trying to push the uh, systemic racism. Uh, yes, or, probably you know, Osra Nomani is who you're thinking of. Uh, Osra, yeah, yeah Osra Nomani, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what was interesting, she had brought up the point that um, uh, Dr. Jasser being a conservative and uh, her being a, uh, a liberal Democrat, quote-unquote, I thought to myself, well, isn't that odd that she's fighting the very thing that her ideological side is uh, trying to push? And I didn't understand that. I thought, well, if, if you're fighting something that your side is supporting, maybe you should rethink your ideological of course. beliefs. Of course. You know? Yeah. Um, it, just, it just struck me as, I don't know, odd. But, but I, I think she's up. the kind of liberal that... Um, I think she's the kind of liberal that Christopher Hitchens was, where you're just going to find a lot of agreement. Well, that may be. On important things. Yeah, and she seemed friendly enough, and obviously she's uh, friends with Dr. Jasser, and Mm -hmm. I I thought, well, that's great because you've got two people with, you know, opposing viewpoints, but they can still be friendly and cordial and uh, discuss things in a civil fashion. So I thought that was wonderful. Um, I also ran across, uh, oh, and by the way, great job with the uh, Seth Leibson of sports today. Yeah, wasn't that fun? That was. That was a lot of fun. And I think that's a that's an apt description. Um, when I was reading, uh, I get my my uh, power line stuff later than you do, apparently. But Steve Hayward was talking about some notes he took from 40 years ago with Harry Jaffa. And where, 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 talking, where, where, where? I got to get it. Well, it was, yeah, loose ants, number 131. Okay. But um, he starts it off about, you know, Caitlyn Jenner's candidacy as the governor, but... Um, he's talking about giving a commencement address, but then he was talking about uh, some search for prompts to inspire his composition. He looked at an old notebook uh, from his first seminar with Harry Jaffa almost 40 years ago uh, because he had a lot of interesting things to say about the modern university. And so uh, his notes said, and this is from Harry Jaffa, the revolt against authority by the left is designed to bring in tyranny, to overthrow the rule of law, and sweep away the secure rights of individuals to bring in the rule of Marxism and socialism. And I thought, you know, he was right 40 years ago, and he's right now. And then, uh, when he started talking about the progressive measures such as the 1619 Project and critical race theory and all the other crap that is trying to get shoved down the throats of everybody, um, Whitaker Chambers actually wrote back in uh, 54, the year I was born, um, in the U.S., the left must take power by deception. What else is socialism but communism with the clause retracted? Mm-hmm. And I thought, and then he goes into the screw tape letters with C.S. Lewis and all that, and I don't have to go into that. But I just thought, you know, these days, especially now, um, those are some very profound things for most people, Americans, who love this country and want to support and protect it, um, to, to really think about and consider. Um I, I just thought it was worth bringing up. It is worth bringing up, and it is interesting. We students of Harry Jaffa's lament his passing. You know, a lot of us thought we were born at, you know, the wrong time or something. But because he would be so keen on today's politics, 
with his insight in them. I'll explain why when we come back, Rob. Stay on the line. Don't leave us. I'm Seth Liebson. Here's Wynton Marcellus. We'll be right back. Bill asked me, is there music you can tell from the first note of the singer you know what the band is? I can do that with trumpet. From the first note of the trumpet, I can tell you who that trumpet player is, if they're famous, if they're published, if they're well-known. I don't know if I can do it with rock as much. We'll be right back. One could probably listen to a Talking Heads lyric right off the top and know that they that's who that was. Uh, Rob is in surprise. Uh, who else could we hear the first word of a lyric to, Rob, and know exactly who it is? Well, any any Beatles song, probably. Yeah, probably uh, any Beatles, probably almost any. Bill did it with me. My producer, Bill, did it with me on ACDC. I think you can do it with ACDC. Yeah, and, and you could probably do, again, in my age group, we were more into the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Uh, Grand Funk and uh, Cream. You can and, do it with each of them. You bet. Yeah, pretty much. First and, note. And, and, yeah. that's one. and speaking of Bill, and this is something I've wanted to get through all week. I had heard uh, you were talking about how Bill is a great memorizer. Yes, I was trying to remember that point. But I remember yes. you yeah. said that. Well, yeah, and and so you know I'm, he commits to memory. That. Yeah, no, he's very good. He commits. First of all, he knows everything I've ever said. Uh-huh. Uh, things I've forgotten, and he'll bring up. Mm-hmm. He's really good at that. The uh, well, he, he has a mind like a steel trap. The other thing he's very good at and likes to do is memorize monologues from TV shows and movies. So we've got him working oh, I, on a magnum I, monologue right now. Oh, that's that's wonderful. In fact, I think that the July Fourth magnum opening monologue from season four, "Home from the Sea," is the title. Now that memorization, and that's even better than I could give. But what I wanted to get Bill was. Uh, and this is reaching back 31 years for me, was uh, the F-14 uh, Tomcat flat spin procedure that we all had to memorize. Um, and and after 31 years, I still have it in my brain, and I don't have notes, and Mrs. Rob is looking at me, and she's wondering why am I even bothering with this. But uh, anyway, Bill, if you want a pen and paper or something, um, we go stick forward, neutral lateral, just the stick, harness lock, that's your harness that keeps you from being thrown forward in the seat, uh, rudder opposite turn needle, uh, the rudder is what you use your feet for, uh, and if no recovery, stick on your right hand into turn needle, and then if recovery is indica- indicated, neutralize controls, recover at 17 units angle of attack, if no recovery indicated, and that's usually the case, and if you saw the movie Top Gun uh, and where Goose died and you know Maverick had to get out and goose hit the canopy you blow the canopy first and then below ten thousand feet you eject and that's the emergency procedure for the f-14 tomcat flat spin even though the airplane has been retired for let's see 16 years now and i've been retired for 22 years now and i just wanted to pass that on to bill because it's funny how things we memorized way back when can still come up and creep into our brains, and I just wanted to share that with Bill so that he's not feeling alone about this unique yet valuable memorization. No, that was really good, Rob, and maybe we should get Bill to practice his recovery scan and procedures. This well, is good. And, and I can text it to him if you like. No, we've I mean, learned a lot. We, we learned how to recover from a flat spin on an F-14, was it? F-14. Or, yeah, F-14, F-14 flat spin recovery. We can do that. 
I've mm-hmm. given warning on how to raise a Britney if perchance you are in radio production and how not I to. I heard that. Yeah, very helpful. That, yeah. And yep. uh, and what else have we helped people with this week? Uh, those two things for sure. Those two really big important pieces oh, yeah. of advice. And actually the Britney thing is probably even more important because you're talking about lack of sleep. Well, also um, Britney's haven't been mothballed. Well, that's, that's a good point, too. Now, um, I, I could give you several Rottweiler stories that um, I could tell you would not be the same as the Britney stories, but um, we, we don't have to go there. But I just wanted to thank you for a great week. Um, I, I couldn't call in. I was on the road going back and forth to Ajo, and, uh, and I just loved listening to you guys. What's, what's the most important call. story of this week, Rob? We went through this week. You know, we end up on a Friday, which is a little bit of a slow news day, a little bit of a snow, uh-huh. slow news day. What was the most important story of the week? I'll tell you what I think it was. You go first. Well, I think it was Facebook's upholding of the ban on Donald Trump. I think the long-term yeah. consequences of that from a lot of levels is going to be a huge disruption in the force of democracy. Well, I, I would agree with that. And I also think, again, uh, so many people aren't even getting the fact that uh, what you're dealing with here is suppression of freedom of speech and people being happy about that suppression because they don't like the guy and they don't get the fact that this is a simple First Amendment uh, right in the Constitution that they are not supporting in the least. So I, I think you're right on. I think you're spot on there. And yet we have to try to convince these people that despite whether or not you like the former president, everybody in America is entitled to freedom of speech, no matter how irritating or how bad or other than, you know, shouting fighter in a theater, uh, other than that part, um, what what uh, freedom of speech is really all about. And <clears throat> somehow we need to convince everybody that either doesn't like Trump or just wants to suppress freedom of speech, that this is a constitutional right for all freedom-loving individual Americans. And I just, I, I just am, am continually amazed at how many people are okay with suppression of uh, speech that doesn't agree with their, you know, beliefs, ideology, world uh, view, or value system. And that's what's scary to me, and I don't know how to change that. Well, what I guess the thing is that has rubbed me so hard on all this, Rob, is the notion of Supreme Court cases that tie the freedom of speech protected by the First Amendment to the right to implement what is said, the right to vote on what is discussed in political back and forth political debate. And whether you're talking about the liberals like Brandeis and Holmes or any of the legacy of free speech cases, what you will find again, 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 is the dicta that in a country such as ours, in a republic such as ours with a First Amendment and a constitution – Speech is very much tied to the vote, that that the whole purpose of free speech is so that people can pick and choose policy options, but also political leaders. And if free speech is to mean anything, Brandeis and Holmes would remind, it is to mean that if those ideas presented in a public forum are to be selected and chosen by the people in a free republic, then they have the right to be heard and the right to be voted on. So what worries me about this, obviously, is this connection whereby 
if we can't say it, can we vote for it? If Donald Trump can't say it, do you understand my point? If he's prevented from speaking, what does that say about the Republican Party and what they can vote for? That's the danger. That's the danger. One of those we lost last year from COVID, Joe Diffie, to moms. His name was Bradley. He was only about eight years old with light hair and blue eyes and a sunny smile, but he'd gotten into a bad habit of counting everything as worth so much money. Now, that is the worst possible thing for a little boy, for there are a lot of little things that money cannot buy. Money can't buy the very best things, as this story will show you one morning when Bradley came down to breakfast. He put on his mother's plate a little piece of paper, neatly folded. His mother opened it. What do you think was on it? She could hardly believe it, but this is what Bradley had written there. Mother owes Bradley for running errands, 25 cents, for being good, 10 cents, for taking music lessons, 15 cents, extra 5 cents, total 55 cents. His mother smiled but did not say anything, and when lunchtime came, she placed the bill on Bradley's plate with 55 cents. Bradley's eyes fairly danced when he saw the money and thought his business ability had been quickly rewarded. But with the money, there was another little bill which read like this. Bradley owes mother for being good to him, nothing for nursing him through his long illnesses with fevers, nothing for clothes and shoes and gloves and playthings, nothing for all his meals and his beautiful room, nothing total that Bradley owes mother, nothing. Now, what do you think that boy did after he read those words? Do you think he put the 55 cents in his pocket and went off whistling? I'm sure you know better than that. The tears came into Bradley's eyes, and he put his arms around his dear mother's neck and put his little hand with the 55 cents in hers and said, Take the money all back, Mama, and let me love you and do things for nothing. Now, this is a story, and it has no text, and there is no sermon. But I think you know what it means. Thank you, Hugh T. Kerr, for that story, what Bradley owes. Until Monday, I hope you have a great weekend. Blessed Mother's Day. I'm Seth Liebson. Class is dismissed.